I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hi, and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. I'm Harshit Kukreja. and i am a research analyst with the health and life sciences program at takshila institution today we are going to walk you through the evolution of public health via storytelling before i introduce you to my guest for the day i would like to inform you that the applications for jcpp and pgp are now open the cohort for both the program begins on 15 january of the next year and last date to register is 8 january we have mehak nekani with us today she manages the graduate certificate program of health and life sciences at the takshila institution hi mehak how are you doing today hey i'm i'm doing great uh, so you and i have been uh, planning to do this podcast on the history of public health via different stories for long and it's been long delayed so now that it's finally happening um, i'm happy all good in the hood great so let us get you started till quite recently public health did not exist at this scale there were no large scale community programs targeted towards the health of the population we will take you through how public health evolved to its present form we will start with the prehistoric times yeah so like we know that tens of thousands of years ago humans were actually hunters they were gatherers and we also know that they had a shorter life span like the life expectancy wasn't very high but one needs to understand that the shorter life span of people living back then was not cannot only be accounted to epidemics infections but like a lot of studies show that the primary problem at that point was for people was to was that they couldn't find enough food to eat and they lived and traveled in very small groups and they hunted and foraged for food so it was only when agriculture started and when there was a shift from hunter gather mode of living to an agriculture model people at that point of time had a more secure supply of food and they had better nutrition to fulfill their needs but however what also happened with it was that the domesticated animals also came along with it and there was not only food and labor there was also a sudden increment or sudden carrying away of diseases which got transmitted to humans and we know that at that point of time people were just dependent on probably one or two crops for their survival and their balanced diet wasn't ticking off correctly and people started to live in larger groups in the very same place and they were not used to it and that actually started the transmission of diseases and that is when public health began interesting Max, so can you tell us more about the more recent advances? I've heard the Romans were pioneers of the modern sanitation system. <laughs> First of all, like Romans are also not recent advances; it it's like very old. But yeah, you were right. A lot of people say that. Uh, that the first first traces of underground sewage as we were in the city can be the credit can be given. to the people of rome and it dates back around to 
500 BC. At that point of time, Romans actually realized that there was a accumulation of human waste and that was a cause of large spread of diseases. And that is how they started to build city streets in the area which had proper underground sewers and that was actually copied in most of the cities after wide. So that was one of the initial public health measure which was taken. We now talk about all of these things like why proper sewage, um, it's important but we also need to realize that people, several people, several centuries ago actually realized the importance of it and public health is not something which came into being today. It dates back a very, very, very long time ago. Oh, so we can thank the Romans for our modern clubbing system. Uh, we can thank so, the Romans for a lot of other things as well. So, yeah, coming to the more recent recent times, with the COVID-19 pandemic, everybody knows about quarantine and isolation. Can you tell us more about how we developed an understanding of these measures and started using them? Yeah, so now if you ask any child uh, what quarantine is, they would probably know about it. But two years before now, a lot of people who aren't into the field of medicine or public health wouldn't understand the basic definition of quarantining. But that is not account of the fact that quarantine was not something which was developed now during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. It is a public health measure which dates back to the 14th century when actually the Black Death happened in Italy and the rest of the Europe. So quarantine actually means, if we talk about literal definition, actually means secluding one person which has the potential to infect others. And that is how now we talk about a probably a 14 or 17 day period. But initially quarantine meant proper 40 day period. And when the, there was a lot of traveling happening in 14th century and people were people started to move from one place to another. And that is how when the Black Death started to happen, travelers and people from across the globe, which were potentially been exposed to several diseases, were isolated for a period of time so that the population and the other people living in the area don't get infected. This practice was actually continued across several epidemics, several outbreaks across the globe for a very, very long period of time. And it also happened in the 19th and the 20th century. So when two decades, almost two decades ago, when SARS hit almost all parts of the world, it was followed then also. Canada was one of the uh, Canada was one of the biggest countries which practiced quarantine on a very, very large level. And now when we have the ongoing pandemic, we know how how important quarantining is, how important distancing is. And so it's not a very, very new phenomenon. It's just that people uh, from all parts of the globe are actually going through the same thing. And that is how they know about all of these things happening. But it also, we also need to understand that these small, small public health measures were in some parts of the city happening at different points of time. Oh, an interesting take. So we have basically used these same old public health measures from a long time. Yeah, so, uh, like we have been, their formations, they might have evolved across a period of time. But yeah, the formation dates back uh, since, like many, many centuries ago. So Meg, have you heard about John Pringle and how he 
incorrectly attributed typhus to filth, but he did reduce the incidence. Can you tell us more about him? Yeah. So John Pringle was basically a physician. And if I'm not wrong, he was a Scottish physician who was serving the British forces around the time 1740s. Then at that point of time, there was a war of Austrian succession and John Physician was actually with the soldiers at that point in time. And so he did an extensive study and he also talked about jail fever, uh, which was very, very common among soldiers and prisoners in jail. And Pringle incorrectly believed and also said that the typhus or the black fever was actually caused by filth. But that was later proved to be wrong. It is genuinely, it is actually caused by a small bacterium. And that is how the bacterium multiplies. And if not treated on time, people were, it was fatal and people were dying. Uh, but keeping that story aside, he actually brought that out into light. And he wrote this um, piece and it was published in 1752, which is called Observations on the Diseases of the Army and in which he proposed a number of measures aimed at improving the health of soldiers, um, in, like improvements in hospital ventilation and camp sanitation. He also, one of the, one of the most important things that he focused was on drainage, proper drainage system, proper sanitation system, adequate facilities of water and latrines at that point in time. So though in some aspects he was wrong regarding the origin or regarding the reason of typhus or black fever, um, jail fever, but he actually brought that picture into light. And that is how we can account him at that point in time that he did really help people to start thinking about these things. And if I would just want to add that a lot of people wouldn't know this, but Pringle was the one who actually coined the term influenza. So now we talk about it, so we can give the credit to him as well. So Pringle seems like a very interesting man who helped us get a lot of concepts into light, which we are still using today, even though he incorrectly attributed typhus to filth, but his measures helped reduce the incidence a lot. So we learned from Pringle about observations, observational studies. Can you tell us about the first controlled clinical trials? Uh, so now you have like raised a very good point. So uh, the first incidence of observational studies and the first controlled clinical trials actually happened around the same point in time. It was only in 1740s when James Lind, who was himself a physician, again a, again a physician, who conducted a controlled clinical trial, and which is actually called the first controlled clinical trial of the modern era. So, during the seventeen of like late seventeen forties, he observed that a lot of people who were sailors actually suffered from scurvy. He saw that they had putrid gums, they had spots, and their knees were getting weak. And that is how he wanted to find a reason and a cure for that. So somewhere around 1747, he started doing this. Uh, he selected these 12 patients who, who were on board, who were sailors and who had scurvy. So like he tried different things and he divided them into groups of two or three and started giving them different things. 
like for example to two people he would give oranges to two people he would give lemon and to two people he would just give water gruel with sweetened with sugar in the morning and something later in the evening and he observed it for a period of few days and he realized that two of the patients who actually had oranges and lemons suddenly showed visible good effect in just a period of 4 5 days and they could actually return to their duties immediately after that and then he also followed up but at that point of time oranges and lemons were not very cheap they were actually very expensive so he wasn't very sure about the result but later it was uh, so he did not recommend it but later british navy like somewhere around eventually 50 years down the line the lemon juice was made the compulsory part of a seafarer's diet and this was uh, soon replaced again by lime juice because it is much cheaper but keeping that aside we can say that it was it was because of the study done by james lind that we got to know the treatment of scurvy and how to help sailors when they're on board oh so james scurvy also had to take monetary considerations for recommending scientific measures not to yeah, differ- yeah. <laughs> not to different from what we have to do today yeah, obviously so we talked about control studies why don't we jump to the industrial revolution with industrial revolution came the problems of overcrowding poor sanitation air pollution mehak can you elaborate a little on how public health was managed during these new change times with the new problems um in order management i would want to focus on what actually happened during industrial revolution so there was an explosion in population growth we know machines were rolling in the development was happening at a much higher and much faster rate which nobody actually ever thought about and so a lot of people thought that this is going to be nice but nobody actually realized that this mass migration and this expansion of population and this explosive growth of cities would also bring along severe public health issues and so if you see that at that point in time the cities were not properly constructed uh, they were constructed for a limited population but then there was a sudden migration from rural places to urban regions and um, so the the population density increased a lot uh, so we know that the working class already had poor working hours they had they had to work in um, extreme harsh conditions they were living with many risks and dangers they were living in cramped areas which had no proper ventilation no drainage and add to that we know that this toxic expo- exposure at that point in time also affected their mental health so consequently what happened is progress which was uh, which is called out to be one of the biggest chains of development which have happened one also need to need to consider that at that point in time this all of this brought a whole new set of health problems that were unprecedented and that were widespread in europe and in america of course for the uh, decades down the line we uh, several health measures were taken and we know that a lot of treaties were signed things were done but 
one also needs to understand that everything has an opportunity cost to it if you are uh, doing something at a much higher and faster rate in terms of development there will be consequences to health especially people who are vulnerable who do not have proper housing and economic conditions to live so the industrial revolution what the same problems we are facing nowadays but the western countries faced them 100 years ago and we are still trying to mitigate and solve these problems right now we'll do Three hundred we'll, we'll, years ago, like oh, three hundred years ago. So, thanks, Mehik. Uh, before moving ahead, we'll take a short break. See you guys on the other side. Hi, guys. We are back. So, Mehik, can you tell us more about John Snow and his contribution to the field? Everybody knows John Snow killed the queen. <laughs> Not that John Snow. Uh, his lesser-known namesake, John Snow, the public health one. Um. So the story by John Snow is actually very, very popular because it's it became a huge act of vandalism. But I'll say it for people who don't know that the history, actual history of modern public health in London began with an act of vandalism. Somebody named. John Snow actually broke the handle of a water pump and carried it away, and it was in Broad Street in London where there was an outbreak of cholera. So cholera was spreading in across all those concentric circles and affecting a very large number of people. So John Snow somehow mapped out the outbreak and how was it spreading, and then found out that the center of the circle was a water pump. which was actually resulting in bad poor quality of water and because of contamination with sewage and this was causing cholera and it was affecting the health of people so john snow broke the handle of the pump and the outbreak genuinely ceased at that point in time so it was an important measure we start again realize how important clean water is for for efficient public health and it was then linked to sanitation and good quality of water and then ultimately to um, better and effective and efficient public health uh you know john snow also did a very good contribution to london there's a pub right at the place where he removed <laughs> the handle i don't know if it is still operational or not but i think there is So I wasn't aware of it. The books don't teach us that. The books often leave good things out <laughs> of their text. True, true, so, true. Uh, moving on, what about colonization? How did it affect the field? Yeah, so that's a very, very good question actually, because colonization did play a huge part in the evolution of public health. So before. Uh, colonization happened. Everybody was concerned and trying to devise these strategies about for prevention and control um, of diseases in their own countries. They wanted to save lives of the people of their own nation. However, this knowledge and practice started to spread across the borders, and the applications tried to begin in different countries when colonization happened. Um, 
so you one also we need to know that it wasn't earlier because that the people did care about the residents of the other nation initially this was just a matter of actually curiosity with but then uh, it actually became a compulsion because uh these people who were for the colonizers they had to protect these people because now their well-being was very 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 important for their economic benefit so the health of the people from the countries they were colonizing became a very important matter for them for bettering economic resources for their own country and there's also another term which we call as geographic pathology which actually was termed in the 19th century so it was how the international people were studying that the international comparisons of disease patterns were different from one country to another country and this the study of this was called geographic pathology and this actually is uh, is known as the basis of modern epidemiology so uh, colonizers colonizers taking part taking care of the health of the people of the country they were colonizing was was important because of two reasons one curiosity they wanted to study and they wanted to know how diseases spread in probably the poorer parts of the world and second they had to take care of their own economic generating sources so and long as their economy was protected they did not care about us and at the moment they started getting infected and uh, their support whoever was contributing into their treasury was evicted they were now concerned about the diseases of our countries definitely so we know that britishers genuinely didn't care about the number of people who died in india during the plague uh, but for them the study was important and uh they actually started taking care of people later because that they know that they have to face huge losses uh because they had limited number of men um so yeah colonization did play a huge part in the evolution of public health it is only because of colonization that the borders were merged and the studies and the knowledge also the application also moved from one territory to another territory yeah so Uh, this is something similar is also uh, observed in medical research studies of nowadays all the good journals and all the good focus is currently on the journals which are based in western countries it is slowly moving towards us the focus is slowly move, moving towards the developing countries and the underdeveloped countries mm-hmm. but it will take some time yeah so yeah the rockefeller foundation the rockefeller foundation has played a huge role in this field uh, they gave a grant to uh, william h wells who established the first proper school of public health the john hopkins school of hygiene at publican which has now been renamed to the bloomberg school can you tell us that story yeah so like you're right that the first public health school in the world officially is called the john hopkins school of hygiene and public health and now it's called the bloomberg school so it was somewhere around 1915 when you correctly 
named the person somebody called William H Welsh he came out with a report called the Welsh Rose report so the report was actually um, a seminal justification and blueprint for schools of the need of schools of public health in the country and Welsh the who was the primary author he crafted this justification and description of the institute and it just one year later he actually found the hopkins school of hygiene and public health and it was after that he published this report that led to the establishment of a lot of public health schools in the united states of america and even in europe although europe had some informal uh, schools of public health but it was actually after this report that um the institutions were being set up which started to impart knowledge regarding public health and training and soon after a lot many countries followed that yeah so some reports do lead to something good yeah so jumping to the last 50 years how has those been for public health what have been the major landmarks we have achieved so in the past 50 years we have had seen a lot of assemblies a lot of commissions one being the world health assembly which happened in 1977 there was a resolution for health for all of which which ultimately resulted in the alma ata declaration which also emphasized the importance of primary health services and 10 years after that it was in 1987 when we had the uh, brundtland commission and it was decided that in the Uh, that this whole area of environment sustainability for health is also needed and um, it was also actually a competent a lot of many countries followed that then we know that in probably like if i'm not if i'm not wrong i think it was in 1993 when world development report came out and then there was then a question on whether health would automatically benefit from economic development or investments in health also were needed for accelerated economic development and that conversation began in terms of this bidirectional relationship in the world development report of 1993 that is investing in health and then of course everybody knows that we had mdgs millennium development goals in 2000 and recognizing that health and development are integrally related so at least three direct health related goals were accommodated in mdgs of 2000 which were adopted by the united nations and following that in 2015 we had the sustainable development goals where there is a there is a setup that there is a set relationship between sustainability and public health so if you say that before like before 50 years we had seen an evolution from um initial interest in tropical medicine as a part of colonization uh, then to international health uh, in high income countries and then there was these uh, developed countries looking at uh, problems in middle or low income countries but i would say what has um mentally changed in past 10 years is that we are now uh, moving to a new phase where global health activities including research and training um 
people people emphasizing that it should be led by people from the low and middle income countries and we also recognize that even as these transitions are taking place in nature of leadership of global public health which is becoming much more of a shared enterprise with low and middle income countries also emerging as leaders public health itself has become a much broader discipline both in terms of learning and in terms of practice so yeah we have been seeing a shift in the public health domain and also an expanding of our understanding the scope of the field and looking at problems health problems from a viewpoint of a population so thanks mehik do you have any concluding remarks um i not like concluding remarks but i just want to highlight one point that when one needs to study public health we need to understand that basic fact that it's a it's a very very broad discipline and it unifies a lot of different fields which includes like humanities which includes social sciences environment and life sciences and management and there is planetary health there is data management and a lot of other things so it's for people who are working people who are studying people who are researching and most importantly people who are governing one needs to understand public health from a variety of domains otherwise we'll keep failing thank you mehak so much for walking us through the history of public health through these amazing theories thank you listeners and for more episodes relating to policy stay tuned for the next episode of altics policy if you liked our show don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the ivm network you can tune into them on the ivm podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts you can also follow ivm on social media the handle is at @ivmpodcasts on twitter facebook and instagram and hey if you'd like to dive into takshashila's research on technology strategy and economic affairs check us out at our twitter handle at @takshashila_inst or our website takshashila.org.in